Pastor Xavier Reese asks for a distinction of truth on today's Simple Truths. The church is like that frog in the kettle. No one wants to bother about fighting for truth. We just kind of become very tolerant, very indifferent, very accepting, according to the philosophy of the world today. We're all brothers. No, we're not. We are divided into two families, the family of saints and the family of ains. No other two. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's a Hall of Fame for almost every sport. In entertainment, there's the Academy Awards, the Emmys, and the Grammys, even a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We have a tendency to want to immortalize our heroes. Unfortunately, these heroes will come and go, though. But there is one thing that will last forever— and that's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's join Pastor Xavier for today's Simple Truths on the true gospel. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. The message is entitled, In Defense of the Gospel. Paul, having substantiated beyond any doubt the independence of his gospel as well as his apostleship, and that they were both equal to those at Jerusalem, he now proceeds to declare to the Galatians how his independent gospel exposed the false claims of the Judaizers as it was put to the test at Jerusalem. And it was put to the test before the false brethren who went with him up from Antioch. And it was placed before the apostles who were there in Jerusalem. The testing of Paul's independent gospel at Jerusalem is described through three movements in these 10 verses. Let me read them and I'll give them to you. Now after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this, of course, because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcision had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, for he who works effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desire only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. The testing of Paul's independent gospel at Jerusalem is described in three movements. 
First, the situation of the apostle in verse 1 and 2. Secondly, the explanation of the apostle in verses 3 through 5. And then lastly, the resolution of the apostle in verse 6 through 10. Now in verse 1 through 5, the focus is on the false brethren. Verses 6 through 10, the focus is the true brethren, those in Jerusalem. So you have this contrast going on. Let's begin with the situation of the apostle, verse 1 and 2. Notice first in verse 1, the period of time is described to be 14 years after Paul had gone up to Jerusalem. Now, some say the 14 years is to be numbered from his conversion, and others from the three years, which would make it 17. The text seems to be giving us an ongoing process of events related to each other. The most logical and simple sense is to take the 14 years from after the three years because he's building one upon another, as I'll show you right now. And a very simple biblical principle is when the text makes sense, don't make it say nonsense. If we allow Paul the 10 years or so, as we said, as he went to Tarsus, and the three years in Arabia, that would be 13, and the one year at Antioch would put it at 14. So we're in the ballpark there. Now, notice secondly, still in verse 1, that the place Paul went up to was Jerusalem from Antioch. It's important to tie these two together. Some say that Paul was giving us here a chronological order without any gaps, making this in fact, his second visit to Jerusalem. And then when they look in the book of Acts, they find a contradiction, so-called, because Luke records Acts 11, 27 through 30, where Paul and Barnabas went up to relieve them of the famine in Jerusalem. Now, again, we bring our Western mind to an Eastern book, and we think we're real smart because we have found errors in the Bible. There are individual and independent records of the account by different individuals with a different intent in mind. The records supplement and complement each other. They do not contradict. Even as the synoptic gospels all give the life of Christ from different perspectives and they supplement or complement the event never contradicted. That's important. The obvious explanation is that Luke records all the times Paul went up to Jerusalem, or at least all that we have recorded, whether they were all or not. Again, we don't know, but those are all that he recorded. While Paul is telling us of the time he went up regarding the question of the gospel and the apostles. So it's from two different perspectives. So again, with our Western mind, we bring problems to the text. This is obvious as we look to the order of the time and the words of time that Paul is using. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then in verse 18, he says, Then, after three years, okay, so he got saved and conferred with flesh and blood. Then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem. Then look at verse 21. He says, Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Then after 14 years. So he's building on 
a sequential order without trying to bring everything that occurred in between. But he is connecting a order of events that happened to defend that apostleship and that gospel. It's important. Luke is coming from a different perspective. Paul is not interested in recording chronological order, but careful chosen events pertinent to what? The problem at Galatia. Luke is giving us history. Two different perspectives. Now notice thirdly, still in verse 1, that the people who went with Paul were Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas was the son of consolation. He appears three times in verse 1, verse 9, and verse 13. Barnabas is an interesting man. His name is Joseph, and he became called that by the apostles. He is known as the son of encouragement and consolation. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus and a generous man, Acts 4, 36-37 tells us, because they, when they all gave of their riches and their wealth and they put it in one kitty at Jerusalem, so he sold some land and he gave it. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, Acts eleven twenty four tells us. He introduced Paul to the apostles at Jerusalem, as we have seen in Acts 9, 27, because no one wanted to have anything to do with him, thinking he was an undercover Pharisee, and he took a chance on Paul. Barnabas are so important to the body of Jesus Christ. They're men and women who come alongside individuals to disciple them. They take chances. They take time. He was sent by the Jerusalem church to investigate the work among the Gentiles at Antioch in Acts 11, 22 through 25, because they didn't think the Gentiles could be saved, so they sent him down to check it out. He checked it out. He saw it was true. So then he went out to get Paul at Tarsus, brought him down. They were there for a year teaching the, the Gentiles. He was called and sent by God out with Paul to his first missionary journey in Acts 13, 2. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of the ministry which I have called him. After the second missionary journey, they came back to Antioch. That's when the trouble broke out here. And then they went up to Jerusalem. Then we have Titus. In verse 3, he's a Greek, we are told. He's not found in the Acts, but permeates Paul's Corinthian epistle. He's all over it and others. He is called a faithful servant and one of the highest with integrity. Paul's companion and calls him his partner and fellow worker in 2 Corinthians 8.23. He is the bishop of Crete and the church there after many years in Titus 1.5. And he is called by Paul, quote, my true son in the faith, which means a legitimate spiritual born-again individual through his ministry, Titus 1.4. And so these are the men who are with Paul. These are the men who are going to Jerusalem. Now notice fourthly in verse 2 that the purpose for going to Jerusalem was directed by God. Paul went up to Jerusalem because he, was, he had received revelation from God. The word revelation means unveiling, apocalypsis, disclosure, laying bare. Some believe that perhaps Agabus the prophet had revealed this to Paul even as he had revealed the famine in Acts 11. It's possible, but not necessarily the only way because we know in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul has told us that he had many revelations and that's why God had humbled him, right? Given him his thorn. 
so he wouldn't be puffed up. So God spoke to him many, many different times. Even um, Peter had visions in Joppa, right? Ananias was spoken to by the Lord to lay hands on Paul. So God can speak to you. Nobody has to speak to you about God. If you're a child of God, God can get your number. He can knock on your door. He can tell you what's up. Notice Paul went up to communicate to those in Jerusalem that gospel which he had preached among the Gentiles. The word communicated means to lay before. Paul had not really gone in his first time to Jerusalem to do this. That wasn't the purpose of it. He, he was running from King Aretas. He was going to take his head off, and he went, and he was just there for 15 days. He preached the gospel, and then he was sent on R&R. But his purpose was not to declare to them the gospel he was preaching. He did not go there to confirm his gospel or to compare his gospel or even his apostleship. This journey was specific to communicate to the Jews the gospel that he was preaching to the Gentiles because that was the question that was going on here. Now, notice Paul went up to meet privately with those who were of reputation. The word of reputation identifies those church leaders who were chosen by God at Jerusalem. It implies a recognized authority. Now, Paul went up to prevent any schism or division that would hinder the gospel as one and oppose the work of the Gentile. Jew and Gentile, one. Ephesians is classic for that. In Christ, in the heavenlies. One body, one spirit, one baptism. We're all the same. Jew, Gentile, Scythian, barbarian. All the same. And so Paul's concern was that the gospel was being hindered. Very important. Notice the word or the phrase, run in vain. It describes Paul's labor among the Gentiles and the Gentile world. It is in the perfect subjunctive, running. This was his practice. This was his manner of business, always ministering. This metaphor is one of an athlete. You see it through Paul over and over again. He uses ongoing metaphors of athletes all the time to teach us and to reprove us and to exhort us as Christians that athletes put us to shame. They sacrifice all to gain their objective. They deny themselves to get the crown. And he says, how much us for the incorruptible crown and the high call of God? And so he uses all these metaphors. Have you ever been in a tense family situation where certain things had to be cleared up and corrected? Not very comfortable, is it? Well, this is the scenario. This is tough stuff. This is real stuff. You know, I, we might go back to the time when, when um, uh, uh, the blacks were first trying to get their suffrage here in the United States and the tension there was with whites and blacks. Well, that's just a little drop compared to Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile was worse. It was heavy. This is the scenario. All of a sudden, God has opened a whole new chapter. All of a sudden, God says, hey, Gentiles can come into my house. All of a sudden, he says, they come the very same way. The Jews have been the ones for so long, they can't handle it. They don't understand it, and they don't want none to do with it. <laughs> now, notice, secondly, the explanation of the apostle is given to us in verses 3 through 5. The problem was declared in verse 3. 
Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Titus was a Greek in learning and custom, and the Jews were still struggling with their prejudice. Titus had been compelled by those Judaizers to be circumcised, but Paul objected. Titus was a presidential case here for biblical doctrine for salvation. Grace through faith alone, apart from circumcision. The demand was based on what? The covenant of Abraham, Genesis 17. God desires what? The circumcision of the heart. Isn't that what Paul says in Galatians 5, 3 through 4? He says, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're a Gentile and you circumcise yourself because you think you can be more righteous, now you've got to keep the whole law. He says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Ooh, heavy words. Look at chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. As many as desired to make a good showing of the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Yes, he's my disciple. Yes, he was so dedicated to me. I mean, nothing's changed, does it? Some things never change. What is it that God wants? He wants the circumcision of your heart. That's what he wants. Jeremiah 9, 25 to 26. We are the circumcision not made with hands, Philippians says. God takes care of that. Notice secondly in verse 4, the persons creating the problem were what? They're identified here. Their measure came up short, a counterfeit, false brethren. They did not measure up to what? The truth of the gospel. There's your standard, people. I am not your standard. The gospel of Christ is your standard. That's the measure of truth. It's the plumb line. The gospel doesn't lie. The gospel will say you're right on or you're right off. Their method was described as infiltration of the church body by deception and investigation. Look at the phrase secretly brought in. It means to bring in alongside and use of foreign enemies into a city by a fraction within the wall. That's how they come. Their methods. The phrase spy out means to make a treacherous investigation with hostile intent. It's only found this one time in the New Testament. This is their motive. This is their method. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings, this word is used exactly like that in 2 Samuel 10.3 and 1 Chronicles 19.3. Stealth. Stealth means you, you get in secretly. They can't detect you. That's why we give that plane the name stealth. That's the word here. The emphasis is is on looking out for the weak position to defeat, destroy, and to conquer. What? Their liberty. There are always people who are legalistic. They want to take away your liberty in Christ. Now, am I talking about sinning? No. We all have great areas that we are all have our own preference, and God gives us that liberty, but it never means that one can fornicate and another one cannot. No, fornication is out. There are great areas. Maybe you think you can dance with your wife on your 20th anniversary, and other people wouldn't dare because they think they'd go to hell. Some have a weaker conscience than others. Some people think they can eat meat. Some people think they can't. You have faith, have it to yourself, the Bible says, but don't make your brother stumble over your own self-righteous weak conscience. Very important. 
Their motives were destructive to bring them into bondage. The law, the word bondage means to enslave utterly. And this has been the history of the church to enslave people so that the pastor or a group of men are looked up to and they tell you how to live and what to do and where to go and who to marry. No. You are free to live unto Jesus Christ and Christ is the one who directs and guides your life through his word. No one else. Notice thirdly in verse 5. The refusal to yield is declared. He says, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Their resistance was constant. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. You and I say, not for a minute. Same thing. (laughs) In other words, no way, no how. Paul was not budging. The situation was heated Dissension. Let me read you Acts. Acts 15, 1 and 2. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. I think if people love the truth more than compromise, there would be a, a few more disputed arguments in the church about truth. <laughs> but because the church is like that frog in the kettle, no one wants to bother about fighting for truth. We just kind of become very tolerant, very indifferent, very accepting according to the philosophy of the world today. We're all brothers. No, we're not. We are divided into two families. Some of us are related to God and some of us are related to Satan. There's only two families, the family of saints and the family of ain'ts. No other two. (laughs) They would not compromise at all. That's good. And it's hard, isn't it? Especially when loved ones are involved, people you hang out with, and you have to stand for truth, difficult. Now, the reason for resisting was that the truth of the gospel might continue, he says, with you. The motive was not for Paul's vindication. The motive was not for Paul's exaltation. The motive was for the gospel's preservation. That's good. You see, as the gospel would go on, that the Gentiles could be saved, that they would would not be put under a big old trip. Remember in Acts again, we read, they wrote letters, let them keep themselves from fornication, from blood, from strangled things. And if they do this, they do well. There are no other things. Circumcision was not even discussed. What's the matter with you guys? We already read the beginning of Acts 15. They went up because of circumcision. And yet when they wrote the letters, that wasn't even part of the thing because it was so off the wall. This was the true and genuine doctor of the gospel that was being opposed by the perversion of the gospel. And it always will be, people. Always. Truth is difficult to face, isn't it? But it must be spoken. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, and the importance of making a stand for the truth. And it's only in the truth that you can experience true freedom. Now, there's much more to come on this message next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this study. And the title to ask for is In Defense of the Gospel. It's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass it on to someone in your church or Bible study. Once again, the title to ask for is In Defense of the Gospel. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's the universal language of salvation? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 